Well, hi, folks. Uh, welcome to Jet Centra, our Winnipeg Free Press podcast. My name is Steve Lines. I'm the sports editor here, and I'm sitting in this uh, room in our uh, newsroom here on Mountain Avenue with Mike McIntyre, sports columnist. Again, he's got the big red chair, but we're not going to belabor that too much. This is episode five, Mike. Yes, is that good right? Good for us. Yeah, number five. Wow, good for us. They they said we wouldn't last. <laughs> I don't think they can make us stop. Is there anybody that can make us stop? Uh, probably you. You're the boss. <laughs> Maybe. So. Well, I'm not going to do that. It no, makes it look like I'm doing something. <laughs> uh, lots has changed since we were here just like a couple weeks ago, right? Really? Like the last time we were here, the Bombers hadn't won a great cup in 29 oh, that years. Thing. Yeah, well, yeah. we'll get to that in the third period or so, right. or the cetera, as we like to call it. But uh, for, let's first off, um, since it's kind of a Jets podcast, I yeah, guess yeah. that's why we call it Jet Cetera. Let's uh, talk about the Jets a little bit. They won again last night, Mike. Uh, they beat the Dallas Stars 5-1. Um, let's say that's uh, Tuesday night, in case people are uh, listening to this a week from now or something sure. like that. Um, so they beat Dallas. The Jets are now 17 wins, 10 losses, and one whatever thing. Um, only four teams uh, in the league have more wins than them. Um, only one in the Western Conference, yeah, I believe. Yeah, so uh, somebody at the gym this morning asked me, Steve, how are they doing this? Um, I'm not exactly sure, Mike. Uh, they're uh, they're certainly, it's a surprise for sure. Um, my 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 answer to him, and, and and I'll get your answer in a second, was that they have uh, uh, a really good set of uh, top nine forwards for sure. Uh, they've got a couple of good defensemen in uh, Neil Pionk and uh, Josh Morrissey. Can't name you the rest of them. <laughs> and they've got a really good goalie. And then the, the final thing, which may be the most important thing, is that they've got some really good coaches, and that's led by Paul Maurice. And they seem to have a structure in their game that Paul Maurice has implemented that's allowing them to win. Is that is that the yeah, consensus that, these days? That's absolutely fair. And I, I think the way the Jets have been winning has changed a little bit over the last couple of weeks, whereas you could argue – uh, until recently, a lot of it was maybe smoke and mirrors, and and Connor Hellebuck really saving their their hides. I'd say the last week or ten days, the Jets have actually started winning games with relative ease. Uh, they smoked San Jose last week in San Jose. Connor Hellebuck yeah. didn't have to be the best yeah. player on the ice. Right. They handled Anaheim with with ease, shut him out three nothing. And normally you'd say shut out. Well, the goalie must have been great. I mean, Hellebuck was fine, but they only gave up twenty four shots. That was as neat and tidy a victory as you'll see. And then against Dallas Tuesday night, I thought that was perhaps the most dominating Jets performance of the year. Five one actually flattered the Dallas Stars. Anton Hudobin was was amazing, and that that could have been a ten one game mm-hmm. if if he doesn't make some he of those made stops. A bunch of brilliant saves. Breakaways, he did two breakaways in a, yeah. in about a one minute span in the second period. It actually reminded me. I wrote this in my piece that that might have been the first time all year that I, I actually had a flashback to the 2017-18 season and the way those Jets would put away teams. That felt like it for the first time all night, uh, all season the other night. And uh, you're right. I mean, you look at at who produced last night, five first-round draft picks of the Jets, Line, Shifley, Connor, Ehlers, Morrissey. They all had at least two points. Connor had three. Uh, so you you built a team with, with some stud players. All those guys are making big money. They've all signed long-term in Winnipeg, and they're all playing to their potential, which mm-hmm. is what you want. Um so these Jets, I mean, the, uh, momentum's a funny thing, and, and I would agree with the coaching aspect. I know a lot of people don't like Paul Maurice. They think that he uh, 
he's he's past due and he should have been run out of town. But with the group that he has uh, and the systems they put in place, it seems to be a perfect fit this year. And then there's those intangibles that are hard to measure. This group actually really seems to enjoy playing together. They seem to like each other. They seem to be loose in the room. It's a lot different than what we heard. It was. Uh, the was tension that year, was right? palpable yeah. last yeah. year. Yeah. Um, when things started not going well, you could sense that this team was fracturing. Uh, you don't get that sense at all. These guys are going to bat for each other. Adam Lowry fighting Corey Perry the other night. Um I mean, that was a moment that you sort of see the Jets rally around each other. So it's impressive. Uh, whether it can continue, I guess, remains to be seen. But there's enough talent on this team for sure that if they continue to get good goaltending. I mean, certainly, certainly up front, there's, a, for there's, sure. no, there's no questioning the talent. And so one of the other things we wanted to talk about a little bit today is, is a move that happened up front, basically by injury. Brian Little got hit in the head with a puck. Yeah. Um, any word on that Little these well, days? Well, I think Paul Maurice let it slip the other day when he actually made a comment about the what we're going to get to here, Blake Wheeler at center, and he was asked about a permanent move, and he, he made a comment along the lines of, um, we still may be a couple months away from even having to decide whether to right. keep up, oh, which okay. without giving a timeline, I think he kind of did. Um, this is a really serious injury for Brian Little. Like, I mean, it could be career threatening potentially. Yeah. The vertigo. That's unfortunate, uh, yeah. For sure. So I know they're still at the, what they call the healing stage. Like he's not even at the recovery stage yet. The actual wound uh, that required whatever 20 something stitches to his ear is still healing. So, whether or not he gets back on the ice, it sounds like it's a long way away, probably post-All-Star game at best. Um, but yeah, the, the trickle-down effect right. has been impressive for sure. So the move the, the move that had to happen was Blake Wheeler went to center. And, and as well as he's played there, and that's been good for the team for sure, the other f- thing that happened here is that now – uh, Mark Shifley is playing with Patrick Liney. Yes. Um, you know, I was watching the game last night, again, Tuesday night versus the Stars, and after Liney scored his goal, I then saw them on the bench. They showed them on the bench, Liney and Shifley talking. And here, hypothetically, is your two best players, uh, two best forwards. And the fact that they're finally playing together, which is something that Liney wanted, and frankly should, should be happening. I mean, yes. you really want these two guys to play together and – and grow together, and um, it looked really good. I cannot possibly see, a, no matter who comes back to play center, please tell me that Blake Wheeler <laughs> and Mark Shifley are never going to be reunited again. Other than on the power play, yeah, which is fine. Sure. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think you're right. I mean, other than Blake Wheeler moving to center has been a good move, I think, for Blake Wheeler and for that second line, but perhaps more importantly, it broke Wheeler mm-hmm. and Shifley up, and they, they seemed inseparable. I had people asking me if if they had a clause in their contracts that said they had to play together at all times. Uh, 82 regular season games last year, they spent one period apart from each other. Oh, yikes. That was a blowout in Colorado. I think they were down about 5 nothing after two. Paul Maurice broke them up for one period. They were right back together the next game and, and for the rest of the season. So um, the fact that they're apart, I, I, they weren't clicking earlier this year. I'd suggest they were maybe dragging each other down, but mm-hmm. maybe Wheeler dragging Shifley Which down. was dragging the whole team down. For sure, yeah. because that's your top line. They yeah. were playing 20 minutes a game. Yeah. Um, and to me, Blake Wheeler seems rejuvenated and and you know almost like he's found the fountain of youth. And when you're playing with Nick Ehlers and Jack Rosovic, who, who have speed to burn. They might be the two fastest players on the Jets. 
Blake Wheeler, he's got to try and keep up, right? And he, to me, he seems like he's found another step. He's a point-of-game player at center. He also might be their best face-off man right now, which mm. is incredible for a guy that's a right winger. But, yeah, the, the move and now Shifley with line A and Connor, that's been a dynamic top line. And I think it really gives the Jets throw in the Lowry, Cop Perot line, which I think has been very effective yeah. lately. Shades of the TLC line <clears throat> of last year with Matthew Pro replacing Brandon Tanev, you have a top nine that I think is is really, you know, as good as it gets in the NHL, and that's a big part of why the Jets are winning. Okay, folks, we're back for the second period of our Jetsetra podcast. I'm Steve Lines with here with uh, Mike McIntyre. And um, uh, Mike, we spent a lot of time in the first period talking about the the top nine forwards and how the, the forwards of the team have really been uh, – you know, could carry this team and have kind of been carrying this team. Uh, the defense, um, frankly, I, I can't name a lot of them. I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, I know who most of them are. Uh, and they, and then you have a couple of, you know, solid guys in Pionk and, and Morrissey. Um, where is um, Sammy Nico? Yeah, well, he's, <clears throat> he's uh, if he didn't have uh bad luck he wouldn't have any luck at all this year because it's just been one sort of bad thing after another from the car accident in training camp that kind of cost him most of training camp um you'll recall him and Christian Veselainen got smoked by another car as they drove to the iceplex on day one of camp um once he finally got on the ice he strained his groin that's a fairly common injury I think for players early in the year um I also heard that I mean, there was maybe some dissatisfaction that he put on too much weight over the summer. Um, he talked about trying to bulk up, that, you know, he wanted to put on some muscle. Of course, when you're talking about pro athletes, there's good weight and bad weight. Did he put on, you know, some of the bad weight? Did it slow him down? Is that part of the groin injury? So, of course, he gets sent to the moose on the guise of conditioning. That groin continued to bother him for a couple of weeks. He finally gets back in the lineup. Then he gets hurt again. Uh, a couple weeks ago, and he's now missed a number of games with the Moose. So he's barely played. When he has played with the Moose, he's been very good. He's point-of-game guy. You could almost say he's probably too good for the AHL at this stage, but the conditioning's not where it needs to be. And now uh, Nathan Bolio goes down with an injury a week ago that's going to keep him out a few more weeks. Dmitry Kulikov now with a shoulder injury. He's gone till after the All-Star break. Opportunity would seem to be knocking for a guy like Sami Niku. Instead, it's Cam Schilling who's up here. Uh, because Niku's not even in the lineup. So whether or not he can get back to health, apparently he's close to returning for the Moose. Can he stay healthy and, and put a few good games together? The Moose are now going to be home for much of December. I guess the Jets will get a chance to get a good look at him up close here at in Winnipeg. Um, I suspect if he stays healthy that he will be up with the Jets probably by Christmas. Uh, but the caveat is he's got to stay healthy, and that's been a real struggle this year. So now let's 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 name the the Winnipeg Jet defenseman just uh, so we so Pionk Morrissey. Yeah, we got we got those two. Okay, yeah. so you, you, you've got uh, Tucker Pullman <clears throat> playing top minutes. You've got um, Carl Dahlstrom in the lineup, who was a waiver claim. Yeah, you have Anthony Batetto. I have no idea where they got him. Nashville, um, but Nashville. he was supposed to be a seventh or eighth defenseman right. this year. They have Lucas Spiza, who Wavers. was a waiver claim. Um, now they have uh, Cam, Cam Schilling, Schilling coming up. Journeyman, 32-year-old AHL, AHL So, so uh, you know, Kulikov, listen, people don't like Kulikov. He's not the greatest player in the world for sure. 
um, but a veteran guy who who's serviceable potentially. Can the Jets <laughs> hold water here um, till the trade deadline, and and then if they're in really good position? Please tell me that the Shovel Dev would go out and get a defenseman, I would imagine. Right? Yeah, I mean, and the Bufflin, now even. <clears throat> the Bufflin oh, yeah, situation, they, Bufflin, they still yeah. have to hold that money yeah. um, because they're waiting to see how that plays out. I checked the other day. There's still no arbitration hearing date set for Bufflin and the Jets. You'd think that everybody would like some clarity soon. Did the Jets have to apply Bufflin's money to the cap? And if not, what? That would free up a lot of money to be able to do something with. So, you ever is he? You think? What do you think? Is Dustin Bufflin ever going to play for the no, Winnipeg Jets again? No, no. I mean, I don't think he's playing for anybody this season. Like, right. I, I think he's done. Right. Uh, There's a picture. Do you see the picture of him a few weeks ago hunting out in Verdon? Uh, so somebody at the lodge in Verdon got a selfie with him. Uh, he was out hunting. Um, he had his foot in a walking boot. Right on. Where and. I'll, I'll just say he did not look to be in hockey shape. I'll put it that way. Um, so I think there would be a lot of work to get Dustin Bufflin ready to play an oh, NHL game. For sure, yeah. Uh, and let's face it, he's got one year after this year. Could, could a guy at 34 coming off, basically missing a year and a half, two, uh, uh, ankle surgery, two ankle injuries, like how, what are the odds that guy ever gets back? Um, so we'll see. But, yeah, I wouldn't put any money on him ever playing another game with the Jets. It's just whether or not they can completely expunge the contract. Yeah, or. Yeah, get it going. But uh, as for the Jets' blue line, I mean, this seems to be one of those cases where they're sort of the greater sum of their parts. You look at, you know, and, and teams have won Stanley Cups like that. The Pittsburgh Penguins won a cup a few years ago with a blue line. I mean, they had Chris Letang. And then a bunch of no names. Right. Um, it can be done. It's rare, but you don't need those superstar stud defensemen, you know, making a pile of money. And it's funny how things have changed, hasn't it? Like a couple of years ago, it was the Jets' blue line that was making all the money. The forwards, most of those guys were on their entry level deals, and the the forwards were cheap. Now it's and the they had fo- a bunch of journeymen forwards, right, well. to kind of fill out yeah. the roster. Yeah. Now the forwards have they're making all the money. The blue line is other than Josh Morrissey. Uh, it's a bunch of guys who, you know, are making almost league minimum mm-hmm. and, uh, and they're getting by for sure. So it's, uh, you know, another guy we don't talk about. A lot of people felt he should have been run out of town a couple of years ago. It was Charlie Huddy, uh, who works closely with his defenseman. I mean, where does he start to get some credit for what he's been able to well, do? Well, a lot of these guys look like Charlie Huddy, frankly. They, they, you know, <laughs> Charlie Huddy was that type of defenseman, really. For sure. Although yeah. he played in a very different era. I yeah. mean, Charlie Huddy played in an era where you could win 7-6 and mm-hmm. the Oilers just outscored teams. They didn't, defense wasn't a main concern of those old Oilers teams. But he was always a guy that was like, why is this guy in the ice? For sure. Right. And, and they do seem to have a lot of those. When they seem to be targeting these guys, it's... It's uh, guys with high hockey IQ. I mean, I've really liked Lucas Spiza. Here's a guy who was a really high draft pick who sort of flamed out everywhere he went, had some injuries, was generally considered to be a bust. Uh, So the Jets seem to be bringing in guys. Same with Dahlstrom. Dahlstrom Dahlstrom was a first-round draft pick. For sure, and and he was highly regarded at one point and then sort of an afterthought. Any any first-round draft pick in my opinion, has some hockey skill. There was something some there, for, oh, sure. for sure. yeah. And whether it, I mean, it, it might still be there. It's mm-hmm. just trying to find a way to, to bring it out. So um, this team seems to play as a cohesive unit, and, and it's all about systems, right? Like, 
you could just plug and play any of these guys into a system. And if the system is effective and these guys follow the system, then, you know, things are going to pay off. So it's interesting, the waiver wire, the Jets made another waiver wire addition on Wednesday, not on D, on forward, Nick Shore. We haven't really talked. I think the Jets' fourth line might be the worst fourth line in the entire NHL this year. Uh, Gustafson, Shaw, Luoto, like they, they are invisible. They do nothing. Um, we may see that change now that they got Nick Shore, who I think is a pretty good pickup as a fourth liner. He, the only reason Toronto waived him is because they, they're in salary cap hell in Toronto with Mitch Marner coming back. Uh, Mason Appleton is about to return. Gabriel Bork, like we could see a completely different right. fourth line. If the Jets could get a fourth line to go with those three lines we talked about, I think they become an even more dangerous team. <laughs> Okay, folks, we're back for the third period, or commonly known as the Cetra in our Jet Cetra podcast. Uh, yes, Mike, you mentioned it off the top. Uh, something big changed here in Winnipeg, and uh, uh, the Bombers won the Grey Cup. I'm still having trouble with this. Okay, so my entire career here as a sports journalist, almost my entire career, has been um, the storyline that the Bombers have yet to win a, a Grey Cup. And right. We were just counting the years, and every year would be like, you know, just adding on another became year. became part of our identity. Absolutely. We were really, losers, and really, we embraced it. <laughs> Loser peg, yeah. Yeah. So um, the last time uh, the Bombers won the Grey Cup what, before this was 1990, but they recently won the Grey Cup. They beat the Hamilton Tiger Cats. You were there. I was there. What a what How an was experience. That? That was, it, was, uh, it was a neat experience for sure. I mean, to be on the field, like the moment that the, the final gun went and the chaos, uh, I think I've still got – uh, champagne in my uh, suit that I was wearing. Videos. That, uh, videos from the field. Well, I knew, I, I knew because I knew that it meant something to you. So I wanted to kind of let you share <laughs> the experience of. Yes, uh, thanks. I it, shared it with other people too, by the way. Yeah. In the moment, they were like, "Where did you get those videos?" <laughs> I go, "I have somebody Got on the an inside field. source." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it was a it was a wild scene for sure. The the blue and gold confetti raining down, and a lot of bomber fans made the trip clearly to Calgary. Like they were, they were definitely the the hometown favorite there. Um, and you know, I, I, I wrote a column the day before I said the Bombers are going to win. I absolutely believe they were. Um, there was something about this team, um, that to me, I mean, it reminded me in a way of the Washington Capitals a couple years ago where you, you kind of knew they were going to win the Stanley cup, even the St. Louis blues last year, right? At some point you almost figure it it's like a, a team of destiny that yeah, there's that, a momentum that's starting to roll right and yeah, I thought yeah. I thought Hamilton's record was a little inflated by playing in an inferior yeah, division for sure they beat up on some of the weak links the Bombers to me by going into Calgary going into Regina winning those two playoff games they were kind of unstoppable and uh, um, you know I figured Andrew Harris you know all the talk about the steroid suspension and not being voted for year-end awards, and then the final slap in the face to him was when all his peers in the CFL didn't vote him as an all-star three days before the Grey Cup. I figured he had a... Well, I asked him on the field that night about the chip on his shoulder. This is after they won the Grey Cup, and he said it was a boulder, not a chip. Mm -hmm. uh, and he played like a guy with a boulder on his shoulder, like he was a man possessed. So I just figured all that, um, you had a Zach Caleros who was kind of resurrecting his career and everything to play for. Um, and again, when we talked about the Jets coaching, kudos to the Bomber. Guys, they wanted to run all those guys out of town. Yeah, and To me, to me, the, it's the, the culmination. For me, I was watching and I've watched the entire Michael Shea era, of course. 
for me, it was a culmination of all the things that Mike O'Shea uh, has been trying to do since the day he came here. And it all came together um, in the final three weeks of this season yeah. and resulted in a great cup. I mean, O'Shea brought a different uh, attitude to uh, uh, football here, uh, Blue Bomber football. He wanted to have a smash mouth football, a, a strong running game. Uh, good defense, good special teams, all of that, like kind of old school football, sure. right? Do you know what I mean? And and uh, you know, playing for each other, and 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 all of the things that Mike O'Shea was as a player, he was going to bring to the Winnipeg football franchise. And it, listen, we took a lot of shots at O'Shea over the last few years, uh, you know, no doubt about it. And there were times where I questioned whether he was going to succeed um, because he had a a knack for making some really boneheaded decisions sure. at the at the worst times, but that was as that was as an aggressive and hard hitting and um, determined uh, effort by a football team that I've seen in a long time. There were three or four hits in that game by Bomber <laughs> players that were as hard a hits as I'd seen in in twenty nine years, frankly. Yeah. Well, the one that knocked uh, Brandon Banks out of there, he got hit twice yeah, really for sure. hard. And, and that was a hit. And then and then this guy from Germany that, uh, you know, this import guy, he, yeah. he nailed a guy uh, on, on a downfield tackle on a kick return. Someone remarked after the game to Mike O'Shea, he said it looked like there were 12 Mike O'Shea's out on the field, and he had a good yeah, comeback. He said, really good. he said Mike O'Shea would not have made this team. And I actually said to Mike O'Shea, I said, are you talking about 2019 Mike O'Shea or Mike O'Shea in his prime? And he, and he repeated, Mike O'Shea in his prime would never have made this team a credit to what he felt the personnel was that he thinks they're that good one of the things you know I hadn't spent a whole lot of time around Mike O'Shea seems to me he is the kind of coach players love him right like he's a player's coach he's hard on them I suspect Uh, I thought you know the other night at Bell MTS the Bombers were being honored before the Jets game Mike O'Shea was actually scheduled to be one of the guys on the ice along with uh, Harrison Dembski with the Grey Cup uh, he he wasn't on the ice. They ended up having Chris Strevler out there, and apparently the reason was Mike O'Shea specifically said he didn't want to be in the spotlight. He wanted another player to be there in his place, and he just kind of stood on the sidelines up in one of the boxes and watched, um, which to me says a lot about a guy's character, that he's saying it's not about me, it's about them. I don't want to be in the spotlight. Even when they showed him on the big screen at the Jets game the other night, he almost seemed... Um, embarrassed that anybody was cheering for him, and and he sort of clapped back at the fans. Like there, there's a humbleness, I think, to him that yeah, sure. th- to go with the aggressiveness. But and Richie Hall's defense, my goodness, 14, 13, and twelve points. You give up, uh, you give up thirty nine combined points in three playoff games in the CFL. That's impressive stuff. And how about Paul Apolice? Uh, quite a game plan, which to me, I mean, you could see they were having some fun. How about the how about the Chris Strevler reception uh, that I believe Darvin Adams threw the pass on that trick play in in the Grey Cup of all places to break out a play like that. Uh, you know, a lot of creativity and and the Bombers full marks for for what they were able to do. You mentioned the celebration a little bit. Um, so the Bombers celebrated their Grey Cup victory. I think they're still celebrating. Potentially. <laughs> Chris Streveler is. Some guys. He has put think, on a shirt though. I can uh, report. Thank goodness for that. So uh, they had a parade. Um, they had a celebration at the Forks. Uh, I'm going to bring something up here. Um, I'm going to read a little letter. I'm yeah. going to read an email that I that I, I received. 
some phone calls and some emails um, and I've heard a number of comments from people about the behavior I've heard of this too. the bombers uh, during the parade. Now, a lot of people are like, oh, Mike O'Shea included, said they should be able to do whatever they want to do. Uh, I don't know about that. I don't know about anything. <laughs> um, that might be a little, <laughs> just a little primal. But um, anyways, um, so here's, a, here's, a, here's an example of one of the emails that I received. Uh, it says, hi, Steve. I like to read the occasional banter between you and Paul Wiesek in the free press. Uh, that's nice. I'm cheap writing plug. today to see. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that's a cheap plug. I'm writing today today to see if others felt the same way I did after watching the Grey Cup parade on Tuesday. I am an avid sports fan and a long-time sufferer of the Bombers record the last 28 years. As a kid, I remember the glory days when I idolized Ken Plain and Leo Lewis as larger-than-life heroes. I was totally overjoyed with the play during the playoffs and happy the football gods finally gave us a break or two. I watched the dressing room celebration and thoroughly enjoyed it. Hey, the players deserve to celebrate a successful culmination to a wild year. But then the parade <laughs> happened, he says. I was thrilled to catch it on TV and see thousands of folks out celebrating something good happening to our city, especially with all the bad news of late. But Chris Streveler, a player I love for his on-field efforts, really left a bad taste in my mouth. He appeared to be pretty drunk from the start, but what would possess him to go shirtless and his shorts under the big fur coat with a big fat cigar in his teeth, every bit the mountain man he seemed to want to portray? Then to accept a six-pack from a fan and chug-a-lug another beer in front of the TV audience was nuts. <laughs> My concern is for the thousands of young kids out there who idolize these players and think it's okay to drink and be drunk in public streets in front of everyone. So many of the other players felt they had to go shirtless. I wonder why. Did I miss something? Would it not have been better for their jerseys for their, to be wearing their jerseys so fans could easily identify the players? Then he talks a little bit more about the hockey celebration. So um, I, I was watching the Victory Parade. I've watched a lot of Victory Parades. I was watching the Victory Parade here in the newsroom, and I saw the incident where somebody handed Chris Streveler a six-pack, and he took one of the beers, and he Chugged shot it. gunned in and yeah. slammed it to the ground. And I was thinking, my God, I don't think I've ever seen that before in a Victory Parade. And, I, you know, I was I was a little taken aback by it. And, and uh, But I've talked to a number of people – is this the new norm it in is. victory parades, the Alex Ovechkins? Alex the- Ovechkin was doing a keg stand in a pond Yes, uh, with the Stanley Cup, if I recall. Mm-hmm. And Alex Ovechkin spent the entire summer of 2018 intoxicated. So Alex Ovechkin has set the, the clearly his bar? Is that yeah, what it is? Yeah, I think I heard some comparisons to Chris Strebler that he was kind of the Rob Gronkowski uh, Gronk, Gronk was, did the same thing. He, when right, the Patriots he, won the, uh, uh, the Super Bowl. Larger than life personality, and I think Gronk didn't have a shirt on for parts of it. Yeah, I mean, it does seem to be. Um, it's like you know, we've we've raised, as you say, raised or maybe some lowered. would say lowered the bar. Um, I'm going to say lowered for sure. And and you know, I, I was talking to an NHL official last night at the Jets game guy does st- stats and he's told me he's a longtime bomber fan 47 years he actually went to the great cup in calgary and then he said he went to the bomber social last friday night waited in line to meet chris Strevler, who he loves 
and he said he went up to Strebler and, and this NHL official had a beer in his hand. Right. He said Strebler sticks one hand out to shake his hand, the other hand out grabs his beer <laughs> and pounds it back. And this NHL official says he's just looking and Strebler says, Oh, sorry, man. And he said so I, I guess does Chris Strebler feel that he's now going to have free beer? Clearly he never needs to buy life. another drink and he can just <laughs> rip them out of the hands of fans. Uh I, I would like to know what his blood alcohol level has been over the last week because nobody seems to be enjoying this more than Streveler. And it's funny. And, and, and that's cool. <clears throat> I think it's super cool that everybody is enjoying this. But but at what point is is it over the line? Yeah. I, I think... And have the Bombers, as an organization, done anything about it? I, don't, I think the Bombers love the image that's being portrayed as cool, young, hip. I mean, this is... You, you look at... Strevler's a, a, a hero in the eyes of a yeah. lot of young fans, and those are the ones they're probably really trying to get on board, right? Um, I know even my son, who's 18, he's not a football fan at all. He's not a Bomber fan, but he watched Stre- He thinks it's cool. Like Him and his <laughs> friends laugh about it, um, the over-the-top celebration. And I guess if you're the Bombers, like that's a decent marketing yeah, I tool. Guess, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know that they're so much worried about the email writers. Like <laughs> I'm guessing without knowing this guy's probably a little older, well, he's right? A season ticket holder. He is, uh, he is. Some season ticket holders that are not, there are season ticket holders who are not particularly crazy right. about the booze-fueled atmosphere yeah. that has become the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Which uh, I wrote a column earlier this yes. year that it's all about yeah. marketing booze for yeah. sure. I'll, I'll just end with this. I mean, it had been 29 years. I'll, I'm willing to cut, not that these guys themselves had a 29-year drought, the organization. I'm willing to cut these guys a little slack. If they win it next year, maybe they can tone it down. Act like you've been there, right? <laughs> wow, we're back, folks, for a short overtime period. Um, not three-on-three, three, just one-on-one, Mike McIntyre and I. So, Mike... Um, Covering the Jets, uh, you get to travel around to a lot of places, yeah. and I know that you personally got to go somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I went to prison. Yeah, you went to jail. <laughs> we, I think we touched on it a couple weeks ago yeah, that I was going, going to be to doing it. Now I, yeah. now I did get to do it. Tell uh, us about it. It was amazing. Um, it was a dark, dark, stormy, <laughs> rainy, cold, windy day. I went at night, which actually added to the ambiance because you're in this – it's creepy. Let's face it. You're on you're on an island where you know, I mean, you're in the prison. It's it's cavernous, everything echoes. Um, and the history of it is incredible. The audio tour, so if listeners don't know, you can do this audio tour where you get a headset and it's like a 45 minute so guided tour. I highly tour. recommend this oh, it's by the amazing. way. If anybody goes to a museum or a, amazing. a a site like that and there's an audio tour, Pay the money for, for it. For sure. So this audio tour, it's, <laughs> so worth it's it. actually ex-wardens and ex-prisoners. at, And they're the ones narrating it. And so it's actually like guiding you through the prison. You're just walking by yourself with these guys in your ear. And you're ducking in and out of different cells in different wings of the prison. And they're giving you the history of things that happen. Riots, stabbings, shootings, escape attempts, like... <laughs> And it's amazing. 
Uh, and uh, there were more than so one. We should of, let people know, just in case they don't know, you spent a lot of your career. 20 in, years in, of crime, in, right. In, in crime. So, so this, this is like going to Disneyland this was, for you, right? <laughs> and it's funny you say that because I actually was staying down the block from Disneyland the other day. Had no interest of actually going to Disney. Alcatraz was my Disney for sure. I've been in all the prisons. I've been in Stony and Rockwood and Headingly. This blew that away. Uh, you this know, was the Taj Mahal. This was the Taj of the Cadillac right? of prisons. <laughs> Of course, the uh, Alcatraz has been shut down for like 50 years now. So, and it's just a, a tourist spot. But uh, yeah, very cool experience, um, rich with history. I actually bought a souvenir. My wife's been making fun of me since I got back. I bought it's a little replica tin cup that inmates would have that it's what they would have been given to drink. So it's just this little tin cup that says Alcatraz on it. So the last few days at dinner, I've been drinking with my little tin cup and. Pretending, I guess, that I'm. It an reminded inmate, me. So. I've been. To, I've, I've. I've. I've been on the ferry, gone by Alcatraz yeah. uh, twice in my life on my way to Sausalito, um, and just kind of looked at it. And, but it reminded me. Best panhandler story ever was Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco. Yeah. I'm walking along, um, and all of a sudden, this tree explodes and scares this S H I T. Snot out of you, whatever, right? Yeah. And um, and then and then he then he asked for money. And the creativeness of it was, I was like, well, yeah, okay. So I gave the guy a one he U.S. dollar. Dressed as a tree? <laughs> as a bush. Like there was this bush kind of just against the, the, the wall, right? You know what I mean? Like a shrub. Right. And then he just pounces out and he scares you. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I do give full marks for creativity and passion. For sure. Okay. Like if you're going to go to that length, I'm willing to give you a buck or two. Reminds me of the panhandler in Vegas I saw on a Jets trip last year who was <laughs> Uh, asking for donations for people to actually kick him in the groin. That was his pitch. Ouch. That for five bucks, he'd let you give him a, a <laughs> kick to the groin. So, again, creativity. I did not partake. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, desperate times, desperate measures. But, yes, folks, if you're in the <laughs> Bay Area, definitely check out uh, Alcatraz and check out our podcast. You're listening. Good segue, Yes. Uh, we are now available on Every platform under the sun that uh, that wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, which I assume Jetcetra is one of, uh, you can find us. Uh, and we'll be back a um, couple weeks, couple weeks from now, with yeah. our just pre-Christmas edition. We'll see what the Jets are doing. Uh, they got a lot of home games in December, and a lot of soft teams that they're playing. They play the Red Wings twice next week. That Detroit did not go well in. Uh, it didn't uh, in L.A. Uh, yeah. Detroit though might be the worst team in the modern era of the NHL. So we'll see what the Jets can do. They're Terrible, just terrible. Mm-hmm.